0: This is episode 54 of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Kindred Mom Podcast, where we are going to be talking about tackling worry and overwhelm in our lives as moms, which is such an appropriate and applicable topic, at least to my life. I don't know if you can relate. We are going through a series over on KindredMom.com about having a healthy mind as mothers, and this is part of that conversation. On the blog, there has been a number of essays shared this month from a variety of women and their experiences with mental health, with long for solitude in the midst of motherhood and so many other things that are really compelling and just vulnerable thoughts about how we can be healthy in this way for our family's sake and I hope that you will check it out. This episode I have Lindsay Cornette and Alex Davies with me on the first half of the show who are each sharing a bit of their own experience with navigating worry as mothers and I love them both. I hope you enjoy the conversation that unfolds with that and after that I have an interview with Lisa Apollo who is an author and a mother of seven with a really difficult story having to navigate worry from a different vantage point than some of the rest of us. I hope that you enjoy her interview as well. She's full of wisdom and just has so much to offer us as we dive into this topic thanks for being here today and i hope you enjoy the show Well, this is episode 54 of the Kindred Mom podcast, and we are talking about tackling worry and overwhelm in the midst of our motherhood journeys. And I'm really excited today to have a conversation between Alex Davies, who is one of our writers in residence for this spring season, and Lindsay Cornette, who is joining us, who you are probably familiar with in some measure. Ladies, I'm so glad to have you both. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. Thank you.
0: Well, Alex, because our, our community is just now getting familiar with you, I'd love for you especially to just give us an introduction to you and your family and what brought you to Kindred Mom.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I am a mom of two girls now. I just had baby number two about six weeks ago. So if you hear her making noises in the background, she's nursing and will hopefully be asleep soon. <laughs> so that's kind of life right now. I have a two-year-old and then a newborn. And uh, we live in San Diego. And I love, have always loved writing. And so that's kind of how I found Kindred Mom was as I became a mom, found the mm-hmm. whole mom blog um, world that's out there. And it's been like a really cool community and a good place to share thoughts. And writing is kind of how I process what's going on in life. Um, mm. And So I also blog at um, my little website is calexwright.com. But um, yeah, that's just me kind of right now. Um, I'm not working. I'm just home with the girls and figuring out what it looks like to parent too. Um, yes yeah. well we're just excited
0: to have you and I love especially just having a mom that's on the newer side because it brings such a different perspective than many of us have three four five six going on seven children over here and um, it's I find it for me it's really easy to forget what it was like at the very beginning of my journey I, there are things I remember for sure but uh, I just really value the perspective that you're bringing to our community community and um, just glad to welcome you so Lindsay, I am excited that you are jumping in on this episode with us because I know that worry is something that you have journeyed through in your own life. And I'd love to get a little snapshot of your relationship with worry in the current season that you're in.
2: Yes, worry and I have a long history together, I think is what I would say. I think that in some ways, I have always been a worrier for much of my life and I may come by that naturally my mom and my grandmother, I think we're both or are um, big worriers. And there have been seasons where I have really, really intensely struggled with worry, where I would say that it's really kind of derailed my motherhood, my relationships, because I would let worry become almost like the most dominant Thought, right? It's kind of, it becomes sometimes this internal monologue that is just hard to turn off. And the past couple of years in particular have been pretty impactful as far as worry is concerned because after my second son was born he's 3 now but I had postpartum depression and anxiety when he was born and mm-hmm. so worry really was like kind of the the primary um feeling that I was experiencing during that time I would say but I think for me over time I've learned That gratitude is a good practice for me to be engaged in. I've kind of learned um, with God's help and a lot of prayer Mm -hmm. and and maybe just some growth and maturity to to kind of how to kind of let go of some of that fear and some of that worry to release some of the tension that I sometimes feel in my head. Um, and I know we'll talk as we go along more about, you know, kind of some of those practices that we all use to combat that. Um, I'd say Mm -hmm. right now I've, I'm in a good place. And again, I think maybe that's Mm -hmm. just some, some growth that's happened over time. Getting to know myself better, um, has really helped. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to talk more about it. I think that, um, like I said, I've always been a worrier, but when you're a mom, there's like this whole new level that can kick in Mm -hmm. if we're not kind of aware and thinking about it.
0: Yeah. And Alex, how about you? What does worry look like in your life at this point? Yeah. So
1: as far as like the normal mom anxiety, um, Mm -hmm. I feel really grateful that I've had some really amazing sister-in-laws to watch parent before I became a parent. Mm -hmm. So I feel like just watching them and seeing what they experienced helped me to have less anxiety when I started experiencing things Um, in real life, but obviously there's always, I feel like I become aware of it at times. Like a few months ago, I was shopping at Costco and I was loading all my groceries into the trunk of my car and I turned around and the cart wasn't there. And my two year old Mm -hmm. was sitting in the cart. (laughs) and I looked and the cart had rolled and it hit a truck and the truck had stopped so that it, it would stop the cart and keep her from rolling away. Oh wow. Yeah. So she was only a few feet from me, but just realizing like, wow, Okay. Um, and just moments like that kind of make me realize and aware of like all the things that could go wrong that we have no control over and and just how in charge God is and that he's keeping us alive every day or keeping my kids alive for me so yeah um, I feel like it kind of hits me in waves every once in a while where it's just like wow okay
0: (laughs) yeah well I think it's a little bit funny that you said something about the normal mom worry and I'm like making quotations with my fingers (laughs) that you can't see right now just because I think worry is such a common experience in motherhood and because we are diving into like cultivating a healthy mind and what that looks like and we've had some recent conversations that you may not have heard yet on the podcast by the time we're recording this um, just about fear and anxiety and some of those emotions are kind of like honing in on different ones because I think there are some Um, nuanced differences between worry and I'd love to talk about how worry might be different than fear or worry might be different than anxiety Um, and obviously Mm -hmm. they can really go together and it might be hard to untangle and separate them but I do think that they each kind of have a different place in the conversation and so what are your guys' thoughts about how worry is different from those other experiences?
2: Yeah I think that Definitely the difference between worry and anxiety is one that I have had to think through because there can be, right, this like clinical anxiety, right? That can be really a, a a disorder or a mental illness of kind, which which I've experienced. And so I think that is an important distinction. One thing that was really helpful for me was I heard someone once say that you know you're faced with maybe something that's a, a true mental illness or an anxiety disorder when all the best self-care you could possibly put together mm-hmm. is insufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be attempting to do all the right things and yet you still kind of feel that sense of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think anxiety a lot of times is not really grounded in reality, right? And worry might be a little bit more grounded in reality, like Alex, you were alluding to, right? Like the fact that our cart could roll away from us in the parking lot, that's a real thing that could happen, right? We worry about how our kids are doing in school or if they're sleeping well or all of those things. So it's more grounded in reality for me, but I have to sort of recognize that even if it is a real situation that I'm worrying about, the so worrying is not productive, mm-hmm. and in fact, can be counterproductive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um,
1: I really liked what you just said, Lindsay. That worrying is never productive, even though it feels like we're fixing it all in our head. <laughs> it's, we're not actually mm-hmm. doing anything to fix the problem or mm-hmm. or to protect ourselves. Yeah, for me, worry is like thinking about all the things that are upcoming, maybe in our schedule, and things that um, are maybe frightening to me or present a challenge. So I'm anticipating that they're going to be difficult. And sometimes that will worry me because I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it or how things will go. Yeah, And anxiety is kind of that next level, I think, where it's reading into situations, possible outcomes that Mm -hmm. are probably very unlikely or things that aren't really happening in real life. And we're just kind of living through all of those scenarios instead of living in the present and in what's actually happening.
0: Yeah. well, I, When I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking just kind of fear is like, for me, kind of a big thing. <laughs> fear is one of those things that's like, it's a... I'll just call it a violent emotion just because it's feel like when fear hits me, it's like it's gripping me tightly. Like I just cannot see past it. Whereas worry is kind of like this low level, like it just kind of feels like tingles on my my forearm, you know, where I just like I feel it and I can kind of ignore it, but it's always kind of there if worry is dominating my thoughts and that it really can very subversively suck the joy out of things because I'm just worrying about something rather than figuring out what I might be able to proactively do to, um, you know, I think worry is very connected to the sense of responsibility that we feel to keep our children safe, to handle things well, and the thing about that is we are responsible for safety. We do have some very real things that we need to apply our wisdom and leadership to in order to best serve our families. But I just have learned over the years that I can either do that from a place of reacting to things, which is kind of where worry hits me personally, um, or I can be a lot more proactive knowing that, okay, I'm in the parking lot. I need to secure the toddler first. Then I need to unload the groceries. (laughs) And so kind of thinking ahead for me, making a game plan about what I see coming ahead really helps me overstep the worry side. And um, we can't always anticipate everything. So, I mean, there are still things that I worry about. But as a general, like chronic way of being, I think worry doesn't have as much of a role in my life anymore because of that shift of my perspective to be a little bit more proactive about the challenges I see coming up.
2: Yeah, I think that's really good, Emily. Another thing that's helpful for me You know, in a few episodes back, well, it may have been more than a few at this point, but we (laughs) talked about comparison and we talked about are there times when comparison can be helpful? Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of times worry for me falls almost into the risk management category. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know have I prevented or avoided risks um, or are there risks I'm not thinking about out there for my kids? And It's helpful for me because I know that I have a tendency to worry to sort of take a deep breath and step back and think, okay, who are some other wise and responsible moms in my life and how are they approaching this situation? Like I know that I can take a deep breath because look, this is a normal thing. This is okay. My kids are going to be fine. I think for me, a lot of times how I'll distinguish
1: between like What is excessive worry and what is just realizing like the possible dangers or possible outcomes in a situation is if I can process it verbally or just speak it out loud to someone, usually my husband and kind of get that barometer. So whether it's like with an older mom who knows more and has been there um, or with your husband and kind of be like, is this something I should be worried about or I'm having these thoughts and and it's nice to have another person here and kind of give you feedback of, yeah, we should be worried or no, that's really normal.
0: Well, and I think worry is one of those things where I think we have it for a reason. <laughs> I think it's a good indicator of, oh, this thing might need attention over here. But worry as kind of a chronic experience or something that we're dealing with moment by moment, day by day, I think is is really difficult and maybe not what helps us thrive the most in motherhood, which is why we're talking about it. I don't want to make anybody feel bad for being a worrier because I think I have had a long season of that myself. Just now that I don't feel so tied down by worry all the time, I feel like it's, it's only loving to share with other moms who might be still in that season of just really worrying a lot that it doesn't necessarily have to stay that way. If you want some freedom from that, if you want to find a way to be able to acknowledge worry and then do something about it. Um, Because I just do think that there is a lot of joy to be had in motherhood. And I think especially in the first five or six years when there's so many things to navigate, so many challenges to overcome, so many developmental milestones and changes in your child's life that, you know, just knowing that it won't always be that you know, a high redlining <sighs> kind of experience, I think can be encouraging and helpful. While we're in this space, I'd love to just talk about overwhelm as kind of a separate idea because it's something, um, at least when you're about to have your seventh baby, <laughs> it's right at the top of the <laughs> list for me of what uh, I think are going to be my biggest challenges over the coming ones. And I, um, I've had other seasons of overwhelm as well, But just thinking of overwhelm as an indicator of areas that may need to be simplified in our lives, I mean, that's just something that, um, especially coming out of, you know, the first month of the year and all of the efforts of people who are watching the Marie Kondo show and (laughs) organizing their homes and, you know, just dealing with the excess of life. I just have noticed that just culturally speaking as Americans, that we value accumulation of things and busyness and productivity and progress. And all of those things I think can be good in and of themselves in the right environment. But when you kind of put them all together and then when you have a whole lot of children, just my personal, keep saying that my personal thing is that it has a snowball effect and it gets pretty nutty pretty quick. And so let's talk about overwhelm and, um, what your experience has been with overwhelm as well as any strategies or tips you have for moms who are wanting to step out of it.
2: This is another area for me where it kind of comes and goes in seasons, right? Mm -hmm. There have been seasons where I have felt really overwhelmed and other seasons where not so much. But I think that's one of the reasons why we have to be so proactive about leaving margin and white space in our lives, Mm -hmm. because there are always going to be things that come up that are out of our control or that we didn't expect, like an illness or job loss or, you know, any myriad of things that might come up. And if we are running full tilt, like to the max of our capacity on just a normal day, any extra thing is gonna immediately push us into that overwhelmed place, you know? And I think that you have to know yourself, right? You kind of have to be self-aware and learn over time how much you can handle. I've kind of learned that I really need a lot of white space and margin. If my to-do list gets too long, I very easily get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And that manifests usually as grumpiness Mm -hmm. with people around me, which is not how I want to be. So I've kind of had to learn over time what I can handle, kind of release some of my productivity idols, you know, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it's just I don't think we'll ever be able to escape it altogether, right? Like I was saying, there's always going to be things that come up, but just being proactive in setting up our lives in such a way that when unexpected or stressful things emerge, they don't automatically push us over the edge. That's so true.
1: (laughs) Just leaving that extra space is so helpful. I think I'm learning that over again, having a newborn in the house right now where Mm -hmm. just the nature of having kids, especially little ones is having extra space and having so many empty days because I don't know each day how our night has been. Like if we all have slept that night and that's going to affect the next day, um, Mm -hmm. or just what mood my toddler is going to be in. And so having that, um, that open space, like you were saying is so important just for like my mental health and our family's health, um, to be able to stop or to be able to slow down when the kids need it. And when I need it too, um, for me, overwhelm right now, um, it just so easily translates to like stress and to feeling stressed or to complaining about my husband that I'm feeling stressed. And mm-hmm. so I think I'm, I tend to analyze things and just constantly be thinking about things, which is a normal mom thing, I think as well. But when I know that there's a lot and I feel that there's a lot on our plates, I'll just kind of constantly be running through my head, trying not to forget any of the things that need to be done or any of the places we're supposed to go. And mm-hmm. when I can get outside of my own head and just write down a list on paper with a pencil, it helps so much because it just kind of pulls that burden off my shoulders of trying to hold it all in my head. And it's it's there on the paper and I'm freed from it because I'm not going to forget because it's written down as long as I remember to look at the paper, I guess, or the note in my phone. um, It's so funny that you
0: say that, Alex, because before I had kids, I was like master detail keeper in my mind. I could keep track of dates. And I mean, for weeks or months or years... (laughs) You know, time span. And for whatever reason, when I had my first baby, I feel like that part of my brain just stopped working. I could not keep hold of this is what I need to do next, or this is the date this is supposed to happen. And so I became a very avid list maker at that time. And prior to that, I just didn't really need a list because it was all just, I had it in my head and we were good to go. But lists, I think, are a very good way to navigate that when you just don't know what comes next. I've even I'm mean, part of managing overwhelm in our house right now. We just are in a kind of small home for the size of our family and we are also on the cluttery side <laughs> with a bunch of creative minds in my kiddos as well as my own mess and I've just been finding that to make a list in the morning of this is all the things that need to happen today down to pick up the towels off the floor. And then I assign them to the kids so they can help with some of those things. But when I don't make a list, then it's on me to like direct people in real time because they don't, they don't see or think about or want to do any of those tasks if it's not on the list. But if it is on the list, it's just kind of this one little thing that, um, you know, if I take the time to make the list, then they can carry it from there because they can read and they can also do those little things that um, when they're all added up together, make it not so overwhelming to live here.
1: (laughs) And I think it makes you feel productive too, right? Because you're checking things off and you're gaining momentum and you can look back and see what you've done at the end of the day, which sometimes, at least for me right now, with the little it can feel like, wow, did we do anything today? Like, I think I maybe did a laundry and that's it. Like we sat and nursed on the couch. Mm -hmm. So like being able to look back and see like, okay, we got these things done. um, It can feel really good.
0: Yeah, that's so good too. And I think it's just kind of having a vision for what's coming, especially just in that day. I think motherhood is one of those things where we get real humble as far as the time span and the tasks that we're talking about. Like some people are out there doing awesome, like smashing their goals and, you know, building these amazing businesses. And that's wonderful. Um, but it's also just, I think it's been hard for me to like be in the humbler spaces and realize how the mundane things still have to get done, even if they're not exciting. And I, I just think having a vision for what needs to happen, you know, you can take a little bit of time to try to figure that out and put it on paper. And it just really helps a lot of things go better during the day for us. I remember when I had only one baby, it was harder for me to leave the house with one baby than it is for me to leave with six. And part of that is during that season, I didn't even know how to like keep my diaper bag stocked with what we actually needed. I didn't I just didn't think about it. I didn't like have a plan and be like, oh, I need to switch out the clothes to the new size that we're in that, you know, if we have a mess that there's something there. And so (laughs) now I'm like, all right, we've got lunch, we've got new outfits, we've got, (laughs) I mean, I kind of have a checklist that I go through to make sure that we have what we need when we're going somewhere. So I just don't feel as overwhelmed, even though I'm dealing with a much larger amount of stuff. (laughs) So,
2: Yeah, I think noticing and paying attention to the times of day and the situations that make you feel overwhelmed is really important too, right? Like getting out the house, that's usually a stressful time for most people, I think. And so having a system is really good. I've kind of joked sometimes that I should attach a tag to the outside of the diaper bag that is a list of everything I need to put in it because sometimes I do feel like I'm reinventing the wheel every single time we need to go somewhere. For me, meal plan, Planning is one of those things, right? Because I know at that 4 to 6 p.m. time is one where I might start to feel overwhelmed because I'm ready for my husband to be home and I'm tired and the kids are loud and everyone's hungry. Yeah. And so that becomes you know, a time when it's helpful for me to have a plan. One thing that I know I've, I think I've talked about on the podcast before, I know I've mentioned it in our Facebook group is that I outsourced Sunday afternoon lunch to my husband. I, that was a decision that for some reason felt overwhelming to me every single week. It was like, you know, getting close to when we needed to go grocery shopping and everyone's hungry and tired after church and we haven't been home to like have something going in the oven. And so I just said, you know what? This is going to be your decision. And it means we get a little Caesar's hot and ready pizza almost every single Sunday. But I'm yep. okay with that because it's one less thing that I have to decide. So I think that decision fatigue is a big one when it comes to handling
1: overwhelm. I just wanted to say, Emily, that was so encouraging to me that you just said it's easier now to leave the house with six kids than it was with one. <laughs> because that is yeah, a struggle. No.
0: So this is one thing that I just really want to demystify for anybody who thinks that like oh, that person has five kids. They have it so much harder than I do. And I just don't think that's totally true. I think that we all have our different challenges. For me, my first two and three babies were by far the hardest. And for whatever reason, when we had our fourth baby, it was easier with four than it was with three, which makes no sense by logic, <laughs> but it does in practice. And I, I think that's one reason why we've continued to have more children because... There is um, there's just a weird dynamic shift when you don't have all your kids under five years old who need to be buckled need their shoes tied and need their diapers changed. Like the burden of parenting changes to a much more emotional coaching, character building conversations, you know, like it's. I would say I do feel like some things are a lot harder with older kids, um, but not that part. <laughs> that, that part we have kind of ironed <laughs> out. And but I just I want to honor the moms who are still in the first stages, especially when you have little ones, a toddler, and a baby. And because it is so so hard, and just because you have fewer children doesn't mean that you should be better at this or that you should have a more flu that it should be smoother. You know, it's it's kind of a hard it's kind of hard road for all of us in that stage when you're just figuring out for especially for the first or second time just how do we iron out sleep issues how do we get on the move with these little people who have so many needs that you know it's just a different it's a hard season so
2: for me a big turning point I think in my feelings of worry and overwhelm was reading the book 1000 gifts by Mm -hmm. Ann Voskamp. And I know Ann Voskamp's writing style is not everyone's favorite thing. But for me, learning about gratitude was really, really a big deal. I had never given it much thought before reading that book. And I think that gratitude is a really good antidote to, to worry and Mm -hmm. to overwhelm. Just, I think people dismiss it as cliche sometimes. And I do think it's become more of a buzzword over time, but like, we don't think that eating a salad is a cliche way to take care of your body. Right? Like why wouldn't we think that gratitude is a good and helpful way to take care Mm -hmm. of our minds, you know, in our hearts. It's one that I have to come back to again and again anytime I'm feeling really worried. Yeah, I think that's really good. And it's very practical. Um,
0: I've been keeping a gratitude list ever since I read that book as well on my personal blog. And for me, the, the gratitude part is important, but also the writing it down and keeping a record. Like I can look back, I think I started the list probably four years ago, maybe five years ago even. And the ones that are on my list at like, You know, number 200 because they're numbered. So (laughs) I'm at like almost 1500 now, but I can remember what was going on. And like, it's just a little sometimes it's two words, sometimes it's a line. Um, But I can remember what was going on that made me write that on that list. And so in a way... It's kind of calling to memory things that I've experienced in the past, which just brings me a lot of comfort and it just brings back memories to have a list like that. And so it is a very simple thing that could be cliche if you make it or it could be really meaningful and just a simple way to um, memorialize this season of life, which has its challenges, um, but also has its joys if we can take notice of them.
2: Yeah, I actually just listened to a podcast fairly recently. Maybe we can include a link in the show notes, but it um, was called, the podcast is the 10% Happier Podcast. And the host was interviewing a man whose name, I can't remember at the moment, but he is a professor and he has studied gratitude as Mm -hmm. as a psychologist. And that was super interesting for me, as opposed to Ann Voskamp, who comes at it from a faith perspective. This guy was coming at it from a brain science perspective. And he even goes into schools and teaches, like, teachers and administrators how to incorporate gratitude into what they do as a school. Because, I mean, even the science shows how it can be super transformative. And he, one of the things he talked about, Emily, like you were saying, is that it's not only the practice of saying what we're thankful for Mm -hmm. in the moment that's helpful, but it's reflecting on what we have had to be grateful for in the past. That is really, really powerful. Like that's the part that actually really solidifies those feelings of joy and happiness and gratitude in your mind, which I think is really powerful and just really cool to see how even, you know, neuroscience sort of backs up these ideas that we, that we talk about sometimes.
1: That's super neat. I was just making me think like when Emily was talking about how when you're in those places of overwhelm, being able to remember how you've experienced maybe even harder things in the past and how um, you've overcome them gives you confidence in dealing with the overwhelm of today. Um, But that's so cool that there's actual brain science behind that to
2: support it. What I love about gratitude too is that it's something we can involve our kids in, right? Like it's not a complicated or a hard thing. Even a two-year-old can tell you that they're grateful for their blankie or for their brother or for their crackers or whatever the case may be. And so I think it's some, it doesn't need to be some like isolated internal thing that we're doing ourselves, but it can really be something that we bring our whole family into and have our kids practice with us, which um, I think can be really really important and really powerful I do want to say about that though, Lindsay,
0: even though it's a simple thing that can be easy for some people. I do have one child who really, really struggles with verbalizing what he's thankful for. And it doesn't mean he's not grateful for things, but like we have done an exercise going around the table where each person needs to say one thing that they're thankful for, or each person needs to say, you know, something kind about so-and-so. And he's always like, uh, I don't know what to say right now, you know. And so it's one of those things that Uh-oh. I don't assume that it's a given that my kids will just take to this easily. I do think it's something simple that we can practice together. Um, but just even though we don't have enough time to really get into this next topic that I would want to go into from here, <laughs> is um, part of how we can help our kids through worry, through fear, through disappointment, through any of these more difficult emotions is giving them language that allow them to express. And with this child of mine in particular, I oftentimes have to say for him, are you feeling this? And then he will respond with yes or no. But he just has a hard time volunteering the language for himself, even though he's he's very old <laughs> for someone like who is having a hard time with this, okay. but it's a pattern throughout our family, actually, that there are several people in my extended family who just have a hard time verbalizing these sort of things that it's not that they don't feel them, but they just don't necessarily know how to express it in words. And so I just thought I'd mention that because it may or may not be as easy <laughs> as we're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: I'm glad you said that. I think that's really important. And I think, yeah, I I do think I sort of thought that if I model this, it will be easy. But that's probably true that for some kids, it is something that you really are going to have to work at. And which is, yeah, that's true for adults too, right? So that's probably a good reminder. Well, it's
0: kind of just dipping toes into what emotional intelligence really is and being able to connect the words with what you feel and identify those things is is a skill that is nurtured and developed. And some kids have a knack for it early on; they have no shortage of words to say what they think. <laughs> and then there are some that are just a little different and aren't quite ready to connect the verbal side with, um, you know, perceiving their feelings and and gratitude too. So anyway, we are running out of time, but I would love to close here and just thank you both for being part of this conversation. And Alex, we're going to be hearing more from you in future episodes, as well as the essays that you're sharing with our community these next few months. So thank you for joining us as a writer in residence. We're just excited to have you and get to know you more.
1: It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for
0: having me. All right, Lindsay, I'm going to say goodbye and hope that you both have a wonderful day. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Kinderbomb Podcast. Today, I am really pleased to be welcoming a guest that I met through the Hope Writers community online where I hang out from time to time. And today, I have a mama of seven children with me. Her name is Lisa Apolo, and she's going to just be sharing with us as we dive into the topic of worry and overwhelm in the midst of our motherhood journeys. Lisa, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Emily. I'm happy to be with you.
0: I would love for you to share an introduction
3: and anything you'd like to share about your family and your journey in the last few years. You know, I never started out wanting seven children, never in my wildest (laughs) imaginations thought that was going to be part of um, my life. My husband wanted two and I Mm -hmm. made a bargain to get to three and um, we ended up with seven. There's a whole nother story there, but uh, so... (laughs) So grateful for it in so many ways. And of course, we've learned, you know, a hundred lessons through all of it and trusting God with all of that. The main reason that I write and the main reason Mm -hmm. that I speak and encourage others is because of what happened to us um, about seven years ago. We, life was good, it was kind of sailing along. Uh, My husband was in a job that he really loved and the kids were doing Mm -hmm. well. It was kind of a normal, ordinary life, but it was full. You can imagine with seven children and activities and I was homeschooling. It was a, it was a full life. And I went to bed one night and said goodnight to my husband. He was staying up to do some paperwork for his mother. And I said, goodnight, you know, and uh, kissed him. Like I had probably a thousand other nights and somewhere in the early morning hours, woke up to him breathing funny and Mm -hmm. um, thought he was having a nightmare. And when I kind of nudged him, I was, you know, half asleep as well. When I nudged him um, and woke up myself, I realized this was not nightmare breathing. And when I turned on the lights, I could see something was really wrong. And he basically had, had already had a heart attack. The, you know, paramedics came. We started call 911. We started immediate, you know, uh, walking through th- all the, um, recess, you know, what we could do. And the medics were right outside of our neighborhood. They came and I thought, okay, he's going to be fine. He's, he's going to be really mad to miss work today. And, um, they rushed him to the hospital. I followed and about, um, an hour later they came out and said, we were never able to revive him. We've tried everything. And so I walked into the unimaginable and went home to tell seven kids that their father had passed away. And so that is um, really what we've been living for the past seven years.
0: Wow. It is such a powerful story. And um, I'm so sorry for what you have been through, how much loss and I'm assuming an extreme amount of grief, trying to walk through that for yourself and with your children. And I am also really intrigued by just what has happened in your life since that time, knowing that you had to step into a different sort of mothering without having your husband by your side. And I mean, I can only imagine that was really overwhelming I feel overwhelmed as a mom of almost seven with a husband who is still with me and very present in our everyday activities. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about overwhelm in that season following
3: his passing. I have been overwhelmed, and I, you know, I think each stage has its own overwhelm. You know, because we're new to it. I mean, when you have a newborn baby for the first time, even when your mother is there helping you, it's overwhelming because it's all new. But single mothering is its own kind of overwhelm. And there's a loneliness. There's no one to uh, make the decisions that you have to make. There's no one to, um, you know, hand the baton to when you're exhausted. There's no one, you know, you're the good cop and the bad cop. And it is just incredibly, you know, they're walking through. Even now, even now, as I'm more used to the pace of single mothering and that that load and I've learned to navigate, navigate that I get to the point that I have so much on me and there's no one person that I can really tell it to even, you know, my family or a good girlfriend, um, or who gets it. It's just God in me. So in those moments, I, you know, it is just God in me. I mean, one day when these kids are all grown, I am going to, you know, I know he is faithful. And he has been so incredibly faithful. But in the midst of it, it is a constant, constant dependency on him. And just asking him to fill the gap that I know is in our home and and fill the things that I can't do.
0: I know that... Not everyone has as extreme a story as you have with the number of children and what you've walked through with losing your husband, but I do know that overwhelm and worry also is this very prevalent part of motherhood experience for so many women, and I just wonder from everything that you've experienced and your years of mothering, observations you've had of the moms around you or the people whose lives you've invested into, what you have gleaned or the insights that you've taken taken away from how worry and overwhelm either hinder us in the day-to-day things that we do, or if there is also another side of the worry and overwhelm that has an upside to it. (laughs) Do you have any observations
3: about that? Well, um, I do. So, you know, I think before my husband passed away, I had, I know I had worries. I mean, we have worries Mm -hmm. from the time that we find out about our children, you know, about from the time we find out we're pregnant, are they okay? Is the sonogram okay? I've been through all, all of those kind of things. But I think they were pretty much um, garden variety, you know, worrying yeah. about your children, what could happen to them, um, you know, the separations. I think after Dan died, it, my worry threatened and my fear threatened to just paralyze me. I, you know, first of all, the unimaginable had happened. So all those things that seemed so remote and unlikely, all of a sudden I was like, well, they can actually happen. And then I just had a lot of fear. I had a fear for our finances. He was, you know, I had been home. He was the only breadwinner in our family. I had a fear about teen boys who are raised without a father, um, what that might look like and would they act out? Um, I just had a lot. I had, a, I had a fear for their health because their father had mm-hmm. died at 47 with a heart attack and there were some underlying health issues. And so I realized very early on that I was going to be paralyzed by peer and I wasn't be able to, you know, they had already lost one parent and they couldn't, they couldn't lose another one. So in that time, um, I, I took one Bible verse. It was really a key for me. Very practically, because, you know, we know the Bible says do not fear and we know it's a sin to worry that we are to trust God and we we know cerebrally that he is trustworthy, but it's that practical dealing with those emotions that are that are bubbling over. And Mm -hmm. so I took one one verse was very key in helping me like step by step, um, practically work through my fear and work through my worry. And so that's what I did.
0: Yeah, I have just been thinking a little bit about overwhelm partly because I'm in a fairly overwhelming season myself. <laughs> and I it's it's a good season. There's so many wonderful things going on right now, but it's also like I'm about to have my 7th child and there is something about that number that I probably even mentioned on the podcast before is like That's just kind of an overwhelming number for me, even though I've had six and it's not like a huge jump to one more, but it is in a way. And I've just been thinking about overwhelm in particular, how, you know, well, part of my worry is that I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this very well. And just in the midst of the overwhelm, seeing that the actual linchpin of everything for me is feeling like I have no control. Over the whole situation. I have no control over how the upcoming birth will go, or no control over how we will respond and the, how the transition period will be after the baby is born. <laughs> and so for me, I'm just kind of exploring in my mind the relationship between control and worry and control and overwhelm. And I'm just wondering from what you have been through if there
3: is something to that in your story as well. Um, Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. If we could control everything, our life wouldn't necessarily be any better. We, We do a poor job at it, but we would feel like we, you know, wouldn't have to worry about things. And the fact is, is that we don't have that control. I mean, even when we think we have it, we don't. Mm-hmm. And and so we have all those thoughts that fly through our head about what's going to happen and what about the birth and how will my children react and what about my husband's job and what about my child's, um, you know, learning issue and what about this struggle that I'm having, you know, that he's, he or she's having at school. I mean, just so many things. And I think think there's a couple things. Number one is... I think we all tend to do this. I think the word is, um, I can't ever say it, catastrophize it. Did I say that Mm -hmm. right? Like where you make everything a catastrophe. Yeah. And we blow it up in our mind. And before we know it, like these little small things have become huge things and we're already walking them out. We're already walking in them. And you know what? Most of that stuff that we worry about never happens. Never happens. I worried about my husband's job. There were other things I worried about. I had never even considered the fact that he might pass away. That just wasn't even a thought. And so the thing that I was actually dealing with, that we've been actually dealing with, was never an initial concern. The things that I worried about didn't come about. 2 Corinthians 10 says that we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so when we have that worry that we're not going to be enough of a parent or we're not going to ha- know how to handle these things or what's going to go on in the birth or just all of those, um, all of, w- whatever the worry is, whatever the fear is, we have to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ because what's underlying all of that is a lie. In mm-hmm. all fear, in all worry, there is tangled up in it or underneath it all is a, is a lie. And the lie is, it it depends on what the fear is, but take the fear of you not worrying about whether or not you're gonna be able to handle seven children. Well, the lie is that God won't have grace for you, that God's sufficiency won't be enough. And The truth is, is that God gives us grace for every situation. He gives you the sufficiency. He is going to, you're going to feel that insufficiency, but in those moments, God will meet you. And so just taking it captive to say, you know, there's a lie underneath it. And the truth is that God has promised that he's sufficient and that he's Mm -hmm. promised me grace for every moment. And then taking that fear of that worry captive, to that promise or that truth.
0: Well, and I think too, you know, as I've been just considering this topic as we're going through a series for the month of February on the Kindred Mom blog about just cultivating uh, a healthy mind as a mother that so much of this happens in our minds where we're thinking about what could happen, what could go wrong. And like you said, blowing it way out of proportion from the, a one tiny little thought to, you know, thinking this is going to happen in the next five minutes, <laughs> this catastrophe. And I've just noticed for myself that the reason why I really care about getting under the surface of what is the worry and where is this coming from and how can I fight this in my mind is because worry causes us to waste energy on things that have, like they have no value to us. It's not energy that gets us anywhere good. (laughs) And I just think with all the demands of motherhood, um, it's, it's not about like, Just, well, I want to be a worry-free mom (laughs) because it's not just an ideal. it, It really is something that I feel like is actively working against me wanting to put my energy toward the things that are important throughout the day. So, that's just one thing that I've been processing through and trying to figure out how um, in very practical ways, what it means to take our thoughts captive. And you know that is kind of poetic language to me, which I do understand what it means. But when the rubber meets the road, it's like, okay, so instead of worry, what do I do? <laughs> and right. uh, I don't know if you have thoughts about that.
3: Um, Emily, I think you're exactly right that fear steals from us the life that we should have with God as followers of God, because God has promised us abundant life. And when we, when our thoughts are like consumed with worry and consumed with fear or anxiety, we don't have it. We, I mean, that's what the enemy does. He comes in and Mm -hmm. steals that abundant life that we should, and that peace. That we should have. And so Mm -hmm. um, part of how that works as a parent, I think, is that we can parent out of fear. I think so many times with my kids, Mm -hmm. I would see something in them or I would have a decision that I had to make. And even now, wow, even in the last seven years as a parent trying to make decisions, I have um, found myself responding out of fear or wanting to make a decision out of fear. And instead of doing that, going to God and asking for his wisdom for the decision. And um, for me, the way it works, when you say, how does the um, taking every thought captive work? First of all, I have to know the truth. So I have to be constantly in the word and I have to know the character of God and I have to know his promises. And then when that fear comes, like, for example, two of my children, right after my husband died, were invited to go to a on a ski trip and they were invited to go with a group that was a, it was a Christian group, but it was a group I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with them very much and it mm-hmm. wasn't a church group. And so my initial reaction was to say no, um, because I didn't know who they were going to be really going with, but they really wanted to go and they've mm-hmm. been offered like a full paid trip. And so I said, you know what, I'll pray about it. And I did, I took it to God and I fully, like if I had had to make a decision on my own, I would have said no, because I didn't know the the people that they were going to be going with very well. And I, you know, that pulled up some worry and some, some fear for me of the unknown. And God told me yes. And so I went But you know, it was just a sensing in my spirit. I mean, God says that he will give us wisdom. And James, he says, he'll give us wisdom if we ask. And I have very much had to rely on him for that. And so I went back to my kids and I said, you can go. Well, when they got back from the trip, they got in the car and they were probably um, 10th and 11th grade in high school at the time. And they got Mm -hmm. in the car and they both just bubbled over. And they said, Mom, this was the best trip we've ever gone on. They were so kind. Everybody was so nice. It was just, I could tell it just filled them up. And we had been dealing with so much grief and so much new and so much change. And it's just, it was hard. I mean, life, you know, for them to be able to go away and just have that trip was just, and I just thought to myself, you know what, God? you know what you're doing. And so, you know, for me, it was just changing, exchanging that lie and not parenting out of fear, Mm -hmm. but parenting out of God's Mm -hmm. promises and his truth.
0: Well, and it too, I think is just, it requires us to slow down and really consider things thoughtfully, very deliberately. And I think it's really hard to do in our current cultural climate and the way that we value busyness and productivity and always moving on to the next thing. And so what I've noticed in the last couple of years as my house has become more and more boisterous with energy and personalities and all of the wonderful things that are going on here is they really do have to have at least a couple times a week, probably. Um, whether it's early in the morning, sometimes after they've gone to bed, as um, so my kids still go to bed on the early side since they're still young. <laughs> my oldest is twelve, and I just really have to check in with just my thoughts and where are we at, and kind of uh, assess you know, what are the needs of our household at that time? What are the things that I'm thinking about or dwelling on or worrying about? And, you know, for me, the first step in that process is really identifying what it is specifically that I'm worrying about. Because sometimes I just feel like that low level of worry just kind of is hanging around. And I don't really know exactly what it is until I spend some time reflecting about it so I would love to turn our conversation just a little bit into the overwhelm side of this because um, I can only imagine as a mom of a very big household that there is just a lot of just really practical day-to- day things to deal with. Um, at least that's been my experience and I'll just offer that you know, I feel like the last five, six, seven years have been a very deep work of just... Learning how simplicity offers us so much. And there are a lot of ways to pursue simplicity, both in the physical, like just the stuff in our homes and that kind of thing, but also the simplicity of our hearts and just the things that we allow into our minds all the input, social media, news, you know, all the people who maybe have opinions about how we parent or um, all of that stuff. And I'm just curious if you have. Had any specific things that have helped you to navigate the overwhelm of really just the practical day to day of your household?
3: I think the thing that I've had to do the most is be okay with what doesn't get done mm-hmm. on any given day. You know, from from the beginning, after Dan passed away and I became a single mom, my you know there was estate work to do. The paperwork is incredible. There was just so much to do. I had and people were bringing us meals, but still there were thank you notes to write and just so many things to change. And then I was a solo parent. I was the solo one, you know, taking care of the house and the yard and just, just all of Mm -hmm. that. And I had to learn to make my list and then pray about it. And I prayed, I think every day for, for months and months and still still, you know, now I will pray this prayer, Lord, order my steps Lord, order my steps because my list is not necessarily going to be what the day turns out to be. And you know that with children, you have to be flexible, you're home, you start out doing one thing and you end up, you know, needing to take care of something else. Even with older children, they will call you, mom, I need this. So I have just had to learn to be okay with what doesn't get done, knowing that either it's, that that God has ordered my steps and that the important things, the parenting, the showing up to parent my kids, you know, the um, Mm -hmm. getting time in with the Lord, which is very important to me, that if I do those and then take care of whatever else I can take care of, that I I have to be okay with that. And that was, that was just the Lord, I'm sure working on my heart. Um, That's not anything I purpose to do, but uh, just over and over praying that prayer and just learn to be okay with, you know what? I didn't get to that bathroom that needed to be cleaned today and it's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm.
0: I would probably put it in different words, but similar idea. I just feel like over the years I've had to really lower my standards for what this, this is the level of clean we must be. This is the level of organized we must be. And sometimes we're able to achieve that. And a lot of times we're not. And, um, just not allowing the inability to manage everything at one time. Um, I think just receiving grace for myself and knowing that I don't have to prove or something <laughs> that that we can just move forward with a more gracious attitude about what does and doesn't yes. get done. And, you know,
3: I would say too, um, not being okay with not holding ourselves to expectations uh, that somebody and say, who has two children, and a husband, you know, um, everybody has a different, has something different. Some people are working outside the home, you know, everybody's different. And so just to, to, like you said, to lower the expectations, it's not necessarily lowering them, but just the, this is what I can do. I'm a single mom and it's not going to look like most of my friends who are in a two parent, you know, households.
0: Yeah, that's really wise. And yeah, I don't know if I mean lower expectations. I just, I feel like I've always had really, exceptionally high expectations of myself. I'm an achiever. I love to get things done. And, you know, so it was kind of a rude awakening for me once I had multiple children (laughs) to realize that, approach to life is going to be really frustrating for the foreseeable future while we just have so many things going on. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I mean by that. (laughs) Um, But I do, I do know at this point, like we're at a point of the size of our family, the size of our house, which don't quite match up that Um, you know, we're making a more concerted effort than ever to just keep things in a semi-orderly fashion just because that contributes to our peace and the goodness of our relationships with each other. Um, Whereas I think it used to be motivated for me a lot more by like, I just wanted to have a tidy house because I should (laughs) or something. And uh, now it's the, the why behind Doing the tasks at home is, is a lot different, and I feel like it does it does help and change the equation um, when I'm not doing that from a place motivated by people not accepting me because I don't do it well or that kind of thing, but. Well, I just would love to give you an opportunity to share um, any of your writing projects that are current or where people can find you online if they want to follow up and connect with you.
3: Um, you, They can find me at lisaappelo.com. That's A-P-P-E-L-O dot com is where I um, write. Um, I write for imom.com pretty regularly, and um, Mm -hmm. I do have a family advent devotional that um, i put out. It just kind of came from our own, something we were doing in our family. And I went ahead and published it and it's called Countdown to Christmas. So it's a great, it's like mm, a 15 so day, wonderful. you, you uh, I know we're just past the Christmas season, but it's, um, it's, you can use this devotional alongside a manger scene, putting up one piece of your manger each day. So it's just been a fun tradition we've done in our family.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And I'm sure somebody will find this episode in the future that is a little bit nearer to Christmas. And if that is something that interests you, I hope you'll check it out. I'll put the links to Lisa's website and her book in the show notes. And um, Lisa, thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you for having me, Emily. It was, it was a delight talking to you. And um, just even as we were talking, remembering back like how how fearful I was and Mm -hmm. um, how God has just brought me through and I tell you those you know once we when we look back and we see how he's brought us through it it does boost our faith to know he's not going to drop us now you know he's going to get us through the next thing as hard as it Mm looks well thank you so much